0: You're listening to The New Paris. I'm your host, Lindsay Tremuda. Cocktails in Paris have evolved radically in the last 10 years, and I'm happy to say they certainly rival what you can get in any of the big cocktail hubs like New York, London, or San Francisco. So it's only natural that from a more sophisticated scene, we would see more sophisticated and inventive concepts emerge. Allison Cave is involved in one such project, The creator of Brooklyn's Butter and Scotch Bakery and Bar has co founded Izzy's, a new plant based cocktail brand delivered to homes across Paris. Allison joins me to talk about moving to Paris during the pandemic, the synergies between baking and cocktail mixology, and her favorite drinks for the season. Hi, Allison. Happy Halloween.
1: Happy Halloween! My favorite (laughs) holiday. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you know, we met a week ago for coffee, not knowing that this was going to be what Halloween would look like, which is from confinement round two. But you did mention that Halloween was your favorite holiday. And so I I apologize on behalf of the universe that you're
1: not getting to fully celebrate. Yeah, it's definitely a bummer. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. Uh, It is like always has been my favorite holiday, but um, I did get to Buy and ship a hot dog costume to my dog, who is still in Brooklyn. Um, so that really gave me all of the Halloween joy that I'm <laughs> seeing my little hot dog.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize you had a dog stuck in New York. Yeah, I, it's like honestly, the
1: only thing about being here that ma- is making me not happy is that he's not here with me. But he's he's with his dad, so he's you know very well taken care of. My ex and I co parent him, so it's a very right. uh, <laughs> Very modern Brooklyn scenario. <laughs> I you're,
0: you're, 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 you're presenting progressive parenting, dog parenting values. It's great. Uh, <laughs>
1: 2020
0: has obviously been, you know, a- unexpected for all of us. Um, but here you are entering another round of confinement, but this time you're in Paris. I'm sure that's not how you plan to settle down in the city after, you know, leaving New York. What is What are you feeling about this?
1: I mean, it wasn't planned, but I'll be honest, it wasn't a surprise. I think, you know, I was coming here. I I got here at the very beginning of September and no, end of September. I don't know what day is it? End of September. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, it's crazy how time just is this completely slippery thing Mm -hmm. in 2020. But you know, I knew I was coming at the beginning of, you know, the colder weather season, I had obviously been hearing a lot of discussion on the news about the second wave coming here coming everywhere. And so um, it wasn't I, I came here knowing it could be a possibility. So I think, you know, it's, somehow easier for me the second time around, just psychologically, I think, because the first time when it happened in New York, it was, uh, you know, all new. It was really terrifying. It was really shocking. Um, It was really dark and bad there. I mean, there were so many deaths, and it was just really palpable. You know, the whole city felt dark.
0: One of the things you said to me last week, which I found very interesting, was um, when we were talking about how Parisians seemed very like nonchalant you know in their in their willingness to consume and sit outside or inside um at restaurants and things was that you said that in New York people were you know they had seen a lot of those dark things one of them being I think
1: you mentioned like like trucks full of people. Yeah, refrigerated vans and trucks on like side streets because the morgues were too full. Like that's where we were. And so I just think you can't sort of live through that and see that and not take this very seriously and not have it just like imprint something on you psychologically. Mm. Um, And, you know, I also, I think in New York, I don't know anyone, I don't think who doesn't know at least one or two people who have been through COVID, you know, personally, let alone died from it. And, you know, I know you and I have a mutual friend who is one of the long haulers, which is something that's still not being talked enough about. But this mm-hmm. is an incredibly healthy woman who, you know, is young, it was super fit, and, you know, contracted COVID in March, and is still suffering major you know, symptoms and consequences of it. And so, you know, people talk about the death rate, but I think where there's not enough discussion about what it means to get it and survive it, and what that can do on your long term health. So yeah,
0: and my dad, who's, uh, who's a psychiatrist in the US has a patient who, who he's been seeing, you know, on video consultation, but uh, who's in her, I want to say her late 20s. And, you know, everyone had self-isolated before everyone in the family had self-isolated before they saw each other and then it turns out they all caught it from the 80 year old grandmother you know and now she's exhibiting those long hauler symptoms as well you know so it's like here I think the issue is that a lot of young people assume that well even if I get it it won't be that bad and you know the messaging here has not been hard enough on the you know the continuing symptoms and the unknowns of what this means for us long-term. There have been reports, you know, in the press, but, you know, when you're 19 years old, you're not really reading Le Monde and uh, talking about this over wine. (laughs) So, I think think you're right. I think this is kind of a, it was bound to happen. But you feel good about being here regardless that you're in a good place.
1: Yeah, I feel, you know, for me, I think I had, gone through, you know, it was like a very sort of dark period in New York. And then as we sort of emerged from that initial confinement, you know, I was sort of like thrust back into the world a little bit and like reopened my business there. And then um, we wound up actually closing our physical location permanently in September. And so for me, and and that whole time, I've also been, you know, remotely working on my project here. And so, I think for me just coming here, you know, it's the realization of a dream of like over 20 years, first of all. Um, But it also um, feels like a a true new beginning for me. You know, there was like a a closure there that was hard and bittersweet, but also felt sort of necessary for me to be able to move forward professionally. And yeah, so it's, you know, in Paris is Freaking beautiful. So it's just, <laughs> even when you, you know, can't be outside for very long, or, you know, I can't go eat at all the restaurants I want to eat at, I can't, you know, go to all the museums I want to go to. I still just love being around the city. And I've been biking so much because I'm avoiding public transit. And that's an incredible way to see this beautiful city. So Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I feel I feel like just my overall perspective is much more positive and optimistic than it was. I think I had been sort of hibernating and I feel like I've woken up a bit.
0: Oh wow. That's that's actually a wonderful way of looking at it. Hibernating, and now we're sort of a little bit better equipped, hopefully, to handle this. Um so you mentioned your business in New York. You created butter and scotch, which is a much loved bakery and bar in Brooklyn, which is still operating, but a bit differently. As you said, you've got, you've closed your physical space, but you also have sort of a a lab kitchen where people can still order. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so we um, we opened a sister bakery called Love Nelly just a few months ago. It was slated to open. Literally, we were supposed to move the kitchen from the butter and scotch space to the Love Nelly space the week that quarantine started in New York. So obviously, all of that got a little bit delayed. Um, but it did eventually happen. And Love Nelly is really the sort of brainchild and project of Kevy Landreth, my um, partner in Butter and Scotch, and uh, Stephanie Gallardo, who was our GM at Butter and Scotch. And the two of them launched Love Nelly together. Um, And the original idea was that Love Nelly would be its own entity, but also continue to produce all of the Butter and Scotch desserts and essentially wholesale them to the bar so we could expand the bar space. Because that had always been an issue for us. It's really tiny, we only sat 30 people. And so the idea was we could, you know, nearly double our seating and still be, you know, serving the same desserts. And that was the plan. And then COVID happened. And so rather than really being able to achieve that, we decided it, it just made financial sense to close sure. Butter & Scotch. So,
0: so what was the genesis of, of Butter & Scotch initially? You are a baker by trade. Yes, baker and bartender. And um, bartender. Okay. Yeah. Are the and, two very important skills that you're bringing <laughs> to Paris, which we'll get to. But first, start with butter and scotch.
1: Yeah, so I had a pie company called First Price Pies, which is also the name of my uh, first cookbook. And Kevy, my business partner in Butter and Scotch, had a cupcake business. And the two of us were selling at markets like um, Smorgasburg and the Brooklyn Flea and you know all these sort of like little pop-up markets in New York, also doing a little bit of wholesale, some catering. And I think we both kind of hit that wall at the same time of really wanting a brick and mortar space. Uh, but neither of us wanted to do it alone. Neither of us wanted just a really traditional bakery. We wanted something a little bit different. And I had been moonlighting as a bartender for a few years as I was getting my pie business off the ground. Um, I had left, I had had a whole career in the art world before I went into food. So my, my sort of trajectory has been a little bit circuitous, but I fell in love with, you know, what started really as just a way to make money, the bartending became like a a real passion on its own. And I fell in love, especially with cocktails. And I really think of baking and crafting cocktails as being very very similar uh, exercises and actually it's something that David Lenovitz and I talk about because it's like rare to meet another baker who's also really into cocktails yeah <laughs> and, yeah and it's like it exercises the same sort of mental muscles like you're you know it's about creativity and flavor and balance but it's also bringing in a level of precision and mm-hmm. consistency that um, is is Something you don't necessarily need to think as much about when you're just like cooking. You know, I think there, there's, it's about sort of getting a recipe down. And so, yeah. So, so this obviously,
0: you know, means that you're bringing all of these skills to what you've co launched in Paris called Izzy's Paris, I Z Z Y apostrophe S for those who are listening and aren't sure, which is, a cocktail subscription box or I mean I don't know how you what is, what is sort of the elevator pitch that you give for it because it's more than than that really
1: Yeah, so basically, the idea, our sort of tagline for it is California cocktails delivered in Paris. And um, the California side of things comes from uh, Jennifer Crane, who's my business partner in Izzy's. And, um, you know, originally, it started, we started talking about a year and a half ago, and um, I had come on as a consultant for what was going to be Uh, a brick and mortar restaurant. And originally her goal was to open a plant-based restaurant here in Paris. Um, And then that has evolved over the time that we've been working together. Uh, It shifted to being more of a straight cocktail bar with a plant-based bar food menu. Um, And, you know, then COVID happened. (laughs) And so we started talking about, you know, ways that we could still launch, but in a more sort of bootstrapped kind of DIY way and, and bring something new and different and maybe not as expected to mm-hmm. Parisians, but like in this new normal. So, um, we are really focused on using seasonal local produce. And for me, this is really fun because it goes back to my roots. My very first like real cocktail bartending job was at a farm to table restaurant in New York. And I learned about using like, you know, that week's fresh produce to make cocktails and, there's just a, it's a different way of thinking about things. It requires a lot more sort of experimentation and R&D, but it's like the closest I've ever gotten to, you know, being sort of like able to just, you know, roll out a special. And so every week it's different and and the box has two different cocktails every week and you get two pairs mm-hmm. of those cocktails. So they come in rather large jars. Um, It's a uh, 250 ml they're very of, generous yeah, they're yeah. very generous and very strong <laughs> yes and they are
0: on the first one the whiskey one which i'm now blocking on all of the spicy beautiful ingredients that came with it but i just remember feeling a bit you know sluggish the rest of the day but like in a good way it was a Sunday. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, especially now that we're all indoors, it's sort of like, you know, I, what, what I want for this, it's not a a cocktail kit where you're making the drink yourself. You get the jar. It comes with garnish. We also include a little snack every week. It's usually some sort of either salty, sweet, or just straight up savory popcorn, um, always plant-based. And um, you, just add ice and and whatever garnish we give you. And yeah, so that one that you got that first week was made with you know fresh local figs and uh, some sherry, some rye whiskey, lots of fall spices like star anise and and it came with the garnish was a clove, right? It was
0: the star anise pot. Oh no, it was the yeah. star Anise. Okay, so yeah, that was really a nice touch because not only did it add you know like a decorative element to the cocktail, but you know it really added some punch no pun intended there, but just, (laughs) (laughs) um, but you know, the good, the the interesting thing is that for people who, you know, don't really have all of the nice glassware you can drink directly from the jar. Yeah. Um, But to go back to your point about seasonal, the use of seasonal ingredients, does that mean that at some craft cocktail bars, it's not necessarily about seasonality?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of bars, especially here, frankly, um, it's, more about like the classic cocktails. And so I think we all have sort of tendencies with drinking cocktails towards seasonality in the sense that, you know, in the winter months, I tend to veer more toward strong and stirred drinks and whiskeys and brown spirits. Whereas in the spring and summer, I might go more for tequila or gin, you know, but I think that in terms of actually using fresh Fruits and vegetables. That's just not as commonly seen in general, but I think you you know you do see it some places, but it's just not usually much of a as big a focus. So, and because we're changing it every week, it allows us to be a lot more nimble and a lot more kind of adaptive to what's at the market. You know, so for example, um, we're announcing it. You know, so every the way it works is every Sunday we send out to our newsletter subscribers and also post on our Instagram account, what the cocktails will be for the following weekend's deliveries. And then people have until Wednesday to place their order through our website, which is just izzysparis.com Paris.com. And uh, then they can choose to have them delivered on either Friday or Saturday. And you can do a subscription where you get it weekly or every other week or monthly, or you can just order one-off boxes. And so you don't, you know, you know what you're getting, as early as Sunday, but if you're subscribing, it's also like a little bit of a surprise. And I like that. I think that like, this is sort of designed for the adventurous palette, you know, Um, so next week's cocktails are going to be, we're actually getting all the produce for these from a friend's uh, organic farm just or garden just outside of Paris. So one is sort of like a margarita that has um, fresh green tomato in there. Um, and then the other is going to be more of like a bamboo variation. So Sherry, some vermouths, uh, a little Pinot de Charente uh, with, um, some fresh grapes. So, you know, again, like that's, what's in season right now. Let's, let's find a way to put it in a, in a cocktail.
0: But today is Halloween. Uh, well, this, this will air just after Halloween, but still it is Halloween. So what, what did you guys do for this saturday delivery or friday saturday delivery
1: so we got really into this one because again we like both i love halloween and you know we're the my co-founder and i and also bona who works with us um are all americans originally and so um you know we grew up celebrating halloween and really loving it um so yeah this week's box um had one called the witch's brew that uh used fresh beet juice. So it looks really sort of ruby, dark, bloody almost. <laughs> um, and it's fresh beet juice with um, Zubrowka vodka, which is the bison grass uh, Polish vodka, um, which is delicious. It has sort of like a, I don't know, like a slight sweetness and herbaceousness to it. Um a little bit of horseradish, some Campari, and uh, lemon. And so that I, I, that might be my favorite one. And the garnish for that one, we made these lychee eyeballs <laughs> <Of course. laughs> where we took lychees and like stuffed them with a cranberry and they kind of look like these bloody eyeballs looking up at you out of this cocktail. <laughs> and then the other one was sort of a riff on a pumpkin spice latte with um, I made like a roasted butternut squash syrup that went in with um, some espresso, oat milk, and a blend of rums and coffee liqueur. So so how long do these keep then? Let's say
0: you're not going to drink them on the day that you receive them. How long would something like that uh, pumpkin spice riff, how long would that last?
1: So we say up to the Wednesday, basically. So if you receive them on Friday or Saturday, they're good until the Wednesday of the following week. Um, I don't know that anyone has actually kept them that long. Um, they they tend to get consumed pretty quickly, even though they're large. Um, I think it's not that hard to put a dent in them. But yeah, they're they're good up until up until that point.
0: So you know, I think as you know, cocktails have obviously evolved quite a bit in Paris in the last ten years, and you know they can really rival what you find in you know other cocktail capitals like New York or London. Absolutely. But you know, you're still bringing a concept that's quite original. I mean, I've seen you know some people offer. For a very temporary period, you know, like um, mixes or, um, you know, mixed cocktails in little sachets and things. But this really goes further. And the only other sort of like alcohol delivery program I've seen is with wine, where you get sort of a surprise set of bottles monthly. How do you think, you know, aside from the use of plant based ingredients, how do you think, like, the goal, I'm assuming, is still to, Transform this once we see what happens (laughs) with COVID, but would the box continue? Like, is it going to now be one element of whatever Izzy's eventually can become?
1: Yeah. I mean, we haven't sort of like necessarily locked that down yet, but I think for us, this isn't just about it being a precursor to a brick and mortar as much as we would still love to open the brick and mortar. And the original name for the brick and mortar was St. Isidore, which is where Izzy's comes from. So we think of Izzy's as being like St. Isidore's like little sister kind of. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, we'll see what the response is like, you know, we're so early on in the launch of this business, but I'm hopeful that it takes off and that people realize that this is, you know, not something that's exclusively for these times of COVID that, you know, especially, you know, right now we're in the colder months. And I think that it's an amazing gift. Like, you know, right now we're all trying to find, original, indulgent, creative things to give people. And when we're locked in our houses all the time, I don't think you always necessarily want like another coloring book, although, okay <laughs> Maybe you do. No judgment. What an interesting choice uh, that came to mind. I do think it's great to have creative outlets, but I just think, you know, giving someone something where every week it's different and it's a surprise and it's something that they can have that's like indulgent, but it's no work for them to do. Well, yeah, Um, exactly. It's not like, okay, now get out your shaker and like you've just had a five hour long Zoom call, but now (laughs) it's time to like make make this cocktail you know which i don't get me wrong i love making cocktails but not I everybody does not everybody does but yeah i think you know ideally it keeps going especially i think when the weather gets warmer to us Also, the idea of the box was that it's such an easy thing to bring to a picnic. And the fact that there's, you know, different jars, it's like everyone can have their own, which was also a conscious thing for COVID. Like, you know, we're not all sort of sharing from the same vessel. Um, With that said, we are planning to also add on some larger format, like liter bottles as well, just for... You know, if you're having it for one household, it's less packaging. So,
0: right, right, absolutely. And also, and maybe this is, this was not, you know, intentional, but you're an all female operation as well, um, from what I understand, right? Because your designer in New York is also uh, female.
1: Yeah. So Sophie Erskine is our designer and like brand director. She's been doing all of the, she, you know, she designed the website, all the packaging she's doing all of our um, social media strategy and everything. And she and I worked together for years at Butter and Scotch. So she was the brand director at Butter and Scotch. We've known each other for many years. And she's one of the most like talented people I've ever known. Um, and yes, it's me, it's, it's Jennifer Crane, my business partner and, and Bona has been working for Jen for the past couple of years independently outside of Izzy's. So, um, it's not, you know, it, it wasn't exactly intentional, but also, at Butter & Scotch were women owned and women operated. And all of our opening team at Butter & Scotch was also all women. And um, it may not be intentional, but I do find that like, that's just what tends to happen for businesses that I am involved with launching. And I am very happy about it. I think we need more women in leadership across the board everywhere, um, and definitely in hospitality. Uh, Absolutely. So you've run
0: this business in New York, and I know it's still very early, uh, early days. um, But what do you think about the experience in running a business in Paris? So far?
1: Some things are so much easier and some things are so much harder, which is exactly what I expected. Um, <laughs> you know, like, for example, coming from New York, we have all of these blue laws that are, you know, these remnants of prohibition, right? So there is essentially a, a monopoly on spirits and wine, et cetera, from the way the distribution model is set up in the States where if I want, you know, Campari, for example, I can only buy it from one distributor there. I can't go and shop around. And that distributor only delivers to me on certain days. And I have to buy a minimum of this many cases. You know, there's just all of these sort of roadblocks built in that make it really hard for a very, very small business to to do business because you have to have this big initial inventory expense. Whereas here I can go to Metro and I can buy a single bottle of Campari and I can walk, right. out, you know? Right. So that is like, for me coming from New York, that's sort of a mind-blowingly wonderful thing. But then, you know, there are just things just take longer here. And that's part of what I like about being here. Frankly, I think there's a larger cultural acceptance Of work life balance in a way. So, we're looking right now for larger paper shopping bags, and we found a bag that we really like, and we're trying to find out if they would print our logo on it. And if so, what that would cost. And we've been trying to find out for a week. And, you know, that (laughs) is sort of like just how it is here. And, you know, whereas in New York, I would have gotten that answer probably in an hour. Um, And so, it's just, you know, there are just certain things that are, are, are different. And I think it's because of cultural priorities, but part of the reason that I'm so happy to be here is because of that, because I, you know, worked myself to the bone and absolutely sacrificed so much of my own, like mental health and happiness, launching a business in New York. And um, I've realized like, I need those boundaries. And if, if society at large helps to create them for me, more the better. <laughs> right,
0: right. Absolutely. Well, that that's very true to all aspects of life here that, you know, getting an answer that seems simple can take weeks. It's it's interesting, because either that, that infuriates people um, who aren't originally from here, you know, and they can't handle it. And they like leave because you know, <laughs> fast enough, or they, you know, adapt and they embrace it. And it sounds like, you know, you're, you're in that second camp, someone willing to, go with the flow, as you say. So to finish up, obviously, I can't let you go without talking about just quickly some of your favorite mixed drinks. So whether it's something you've created, or just, you know, classics that you really like that you you go to when you're in the mood for a cocktail, what speaks to you?
1: I mean, I have to say there are very few cocktails I don't enjoy if they're made well. Um, I just, I have a pretty expansive palette. Um, I tend, you know, it also does depend just on mood and time of year. I do love a gin martini that like in terms of classics, that's one of my favorites and You know, again, it's just about it being made really well. I tend to like it either sort of 50-50 or, you know, 75-25 where it's sort of heavier on the vermouth. And so it needs to be really good vermouth. I really love the Dolan vermouth that you get in in France. Yes. So that's great. And I want it with as many olives as you can fit <laughs> and ideally more on the side, <laughs> because to me, it's like, I kind of want to take a bite of olive for every sip of martini that I yeah. have. <laughs> um, that's, that's definitely one in terms of cocktails that I've made the first one that comes to mind. And I think it's just because we in the States have a very tense week coming up next week of the beginning of twenty. Uh, 17, right after the 2016 election at Butter and Scotch, we launched a cocktail menu called Winter of Women. And all of the cocktails on the menu had sort of names that were inspired by what was happening kind of politically or named for various feminist leaders. And we donated a dollar from every cocktail to Planned Parenthood. And that actually became something we just did as a standard thing on all of our cocktails on the menu like for years after that. But I put one on the menu. It was an egg white sour and uh, it was made using plantation pineapple rum, which is one of my favorite, favorite rums and a little bit of Aquavit. There were a bunch of other things going on in there, fresh lemon juice, egg white. And it was called this pussy grabs back. And I made a stencil that looked like a vagina. (laughs) And I put it on top and sprayed like Peychaud bitters, which are those pink, really fragrant bitters through the stencil. And so you got this like beautiful egg white sour with a pink vagina on top. Yeah, (laughs) it was like a delicious cocktail on its own. And then, you know, it was just the whole package was probably one of my favorite things that I've I've ever made creatively. (laughs) Well, I mean,
0: I think that's the perfect place to stop. Uh, you know, you you created something that got you and, and you know, obviously consumers through what was a pretty difficult time after that election. And with any luck, we won't need to create things in that way this time. Fingers crossed. But in the meantime, separate from all those things, Izzy's Paris is a great arrival into, into the scene. Allison Cave, where can people find these drinks?
1: So we are on izzy'sparis.com is our website. We're also on Instagram at Izzy's Paris. And again, that's I Z Z Y-S Paris. Um, and we will also very soon be rolling out cookies as well. So that's that's to come. Because why not? Let's just make ourselves feel better.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Allison, thank you so much. Happy Halloween and happy belated birthday.
1: And let's get Paris drinking. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you.
0: That's the show for today. You can find all previous episodes of the New Paris Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you stream your shows. Until next time, a bientôt.